got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia, where we rage against the machine, where we raise our voices against injustice and stand up for justice, where we embrace hope and joy with an optimism for a brighter, more just future. Each week, I'll be dropping knowledge, whether it's a solo episode from me or a hearty discussion with esteemed guests doing great things in spaces and places of politics, entertainment, social justice, and beyond. We get real, baby. I mean, really real. We get honest. We get up close and personal for you. Yes, you. Because everybody is somebody. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim. Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Hello, somebody. I am so happy you are here with us just one more time. And if you are new to the show, I appreciate you tuning in. If you have been on the Hello Somebody journey for quite some time, I am so glad you are here today, today, today. Oh my God. And I know I say this every single week because I get the opportunity to have a conversation with some of the greatest people in the world. And today is certainly no exception. In all of my journeys and experiences, I've had the pleasure and opportunity to meet and become really close friends with many social justice partners, with some of the most fascinating, forward thinking, and wisdom filled people on the planet. 
And I have someone who embodies all of that. And that is none other than my brother, Mr. BC, Ben Cohen himself. He is here today. And not only is Ben Cohen a successful businessman, a leader, and an activist, he just doesn't talk the talk. He walks the walk. He's a philanthropist. He's the co-founder of the one and only Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, which I do encourage you to get some of that ice cream. I know ice cream sales went up during the pandemic, and I do understand why. Baby, we were stressed like hell, and the pandemic is still going on. Despite what people say, the pandemic has not stopped. So if you want some ice cream, go on and get some of that Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. I had the extraordinary experience to be with Ben Cohen as a national co-chair for Senator Bernie Sanders' 2020 run. And it was, yeah, I have no words for it. That's why I have to say it's like, just like that. It was a whirlwind. It was beautiful to have him. And we served with two amazing people. One is Carmen Eulene Cruz, the mayor, former mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, and Congressman Ro Khanna from the great state of California. We traveled all over this country. We were in communications on a regular basis. And I am so proud of the work that we did collectively and the work that we are doing as individuals. Brother Ben Cohen, how are you today? Wow. Nina, what an intro, man. Those are uh, hard, hard shoes to fill. It's a hard vessel to embody. But I will do my best. I am doing good. I'm feeling good. I'm drinking my organic yerba mate energy drink. And I'm uh, energized. I'm psyched to be here with you, my favorite fellow activist. Aww. I'm a Nina lover. Uh, I admit it. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I want you <laughs> leading our country. I vote for you anytime. I do whatever I could do anytime. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And you've been, we've been together since 16, actually, and then went into the co-chair mode. And I just thank you so much for being on this journey with me. And I'm on a journey with you and for you supporting me in two of my uh, campaign endeavors. As we know, the outcome was not as either of us and millions of people wanted. But it did happen. A lot of big money, a lot of dark money came converging in on the Ohio 11th district. And unfortunately, I'm not the only one. They really come, they being uh, Republicans and corporatist Dems, they really come hard at progressive candidates. But Sister Turner is still standing. And just many thanks to you for all of your support. Every time I call, you have, you never said no. I don't want to tempt fate, but you've always been right there with me. (laughs) Well, when they come for you, that's a sign that you're doing the right thing. Thank you for doing it. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for all that you are doing as well. I mean, certainly people know you for the ice cream, but some of the things that they don't know is that for over 30 years now, you have been fighting to educate the masses about the military industrial complex. You are venturing into cannabis because you care very much about the African-American community in particular reaping an economic benefit because the African-American community disproportionately reaped to the negative, uh, negative penalties for cannabis. And I just really appreciate you for being in this fight and using your influence uh, where you are in this moment in your life 
to be a not just a voice, but to be a vessel and to really use what you have at your disposal to be that change that we want to see in the world. And since I'm on that particular topic, you tell a story all the time about in your younger years, uh, you were caught with uh, some marijuana, some pot, some ganja. We got many names for it, Mary Jane, all of that stuff, but you had some of that. Your story is very powerful, so I can't do it any justice. Can you share with the people who are listening to us today what happened when you were caught with that marijuana and what motivates you to care so much? Not just care, you're putting it into action to ensure that the African-American community reaps an economic benefit from cannabis. Well, uh, yeah, it was a bunch of years ago, I guess a few years after I graduated from high school, I was with some friends at Jones Beach State Park. It was at night out there on the beach under a lifeguard stand. And Jones Beach is located? Outside of New York City. It's on Long Island. All right. And we were passing a J around, you know, and then we saw these two white headlights coming at us. My friend Ronnie, he had the J at the time. I said, geez, Ronnie, it's the cops. Eat the joint. Eat the joint. And then the cops showed up. They're saying, what are you boys doing here underneath this lifeguard stand? We said, oh, nothing. And, you know, they're kicking around in the sand and they find this joint. Apparently, Ronnie didn't want to eat it. So they put us in handcuffs. They put us in their cop car. They took us to the station. They handcuffed us to each other. Then they told us to strip, which is really hard when your hands are handcuffed to the other guy. So they strip searched us. They're joking around. You know, one cop uh, reports from the office. I unwrapped this joint. You know, it's all full of sticks and seeds. Were you guys really going to get high off this stuff? And, you know, they're going through this. They're saying, you got any stuff in your car and whatever, whatever. We go back and forth. And eventually they let us out of the handcuffs and they sent us all home with a ticket for littering a lighted cigarette butt on the beach. It was four of us white guys. And now as I've learned about the realities of the criminal justice system and how black people are treated and how white people are treated, I realized that if I was black, I would have been prosecuted and probably ended up in jail. You know, four times as many Black people as white people are prosecuted for pot, despite the fact that whites and blacks use it at the same rate. If I had a record, you know, Jerry and I never would have been able to apply for the SBA loan that we needed to to start Ben and Jerry's. We never would have been able to get the Urban Development Action Grant. It was a federal program that was used to expand Ben and Jerry's. And the fact of the matter is, is that if we were black, there never would have been a Ben and Jerry's. You know, and that is the story of the war on drugs and a big part of the reason why the average net worth of a black family in our country is one tenth of the average net worth of a white family. And to me, that's the really, really big issue, that we need to bridge that divide, that we need to find ways for Black people to be able to increase their their wealth 
you know, generational wealth is what I'm talking about. You know, I mean, the other fact of the matter is that my parents bought their first home using a government loan that was not available to black people, not available by government regulation. You can see it in black and white that they refused to loan money to buy a house into a black neighborhood. And if you really put in a lot of effort, and if you were a black person and you arranged to buy a house in a white neighborhood, they wouldn't loan it to you then either because then it would be a black neighborhood. So that generational wealth that my parents were able to start with that home ownership That's what allowed me to get to a decent college. That's what began their ability to have enough money to send me to a good college. Of course, I dropped out, but anyhow, it's all together. So, so yeah, so I am starting this pot business now that it's legal, and it's actually a not-for-profit pot business. And the purpose of the business is to produce great pot and use that to help right the wrongs of the war on drugs. So profits that we hopefully make will be distributed to black cannabis entrepreneurs. We'll be supporting the Last Prisoner Project to get people out of jail who've been convicted of pot crimes. We just hope that people really like our stuff. You know, that's, <laughs> if they don't like our stuff, we're out of business. I think they will. I mean, that story is so important to tell because, BC, not a lot of people, especially white people, will admit that the system, especially in your position, will admit that the system is indeed rigged. And I'm sure your story was repeated numerous times in this country over the generations. You and I both know a wonderful entrepreneur, the first black woman to really penetrate the cannabis industry. I call her the Madam C.J. Walker of cannabis, and that is Wanda James. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, from the great state of Colorado. And she has a similar story. Her brother is the main focus of that story, but he was caught with some marijuana. I forgot exactly how much he had, but he went to prison. So just as you said, his fate was different. He went to prison and that is really what motivated her. She tells this story all the time. That is what motivated her to study more about the injustices in terms of the war on drugs, how black communities are impacted deeper, harder, and that impact has a generational weight. It's not just that you arrest one black person. It is the impact that that has on that person's family, on their community. And because it is systemic, it is a blight on the black community as a whole. It really drains the most important resources that we have, which is human resource. And that is what motivated her to go into the cannabis industry. And so she is both a giant in that industry, but similar to you, she is also a social justice activist as well. And But for her brother having that story, I'm not even so sure we would have Wanda James in the cannabis industry. And so for you to carry that story so many years later and decided that this stage in your career, you have many careers. I mean, you are not done. You don't retire. You don't sit down. You could just be living a life of luxury, but here you are starting something else. And who on earth starts a cannabis business not to make a profit? Y'all heard that right. 
Yes, you did. definitely heard that right. Not to make a profit, but to use that money to invest in the black community to groom entrepreneurs so that black people can own and make money, not just as employees. And that's important, Ben. I want the people with us to know you're not talking about employees. You're talking about ownership so that generational wealth can be built. And that is so important. There is a huge difference between income and wealth. And a lot of black people, as you name that stat, do not have a lot of wealth, barely got income, but certainly they do not have generational wealth. And even the 2008 Great Recession, you know, I'm old enough to remember that recession, black people lost 50% of their wealth. So if you were fortunate enough to own a home as a black person, you lost 50% of your wealth during the Great Recession. And certainly everybody was hit, no doubt about it. But when you have indexes of misery, Black people seem to be at the very top of the loss. And so it is important that we do generate, that we have people who are on the mission to push for generational wealth. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. There's a book, it's called The Color of Law. And uh, BC, I'm not sure if you've read that book or not, but I'd recommend it to you and to everybody that's listening. It doesn't talk about the drug industry, but it talks about housing and how the federal government deliberately, because what made me think about this book is what you said about your parents. It lays out how the federal government was part and parcel to redlining and how that cut thousands of black people out of being able to own homes in stellar neighborhoods so that that home could generate equity and they would have something either to borrow from if they ever needed money or to leave something to their children or their children's children. And the government not only was complicit, the government was a full-fledged actor in depriving generations of African-Americans from having a home. The Department of HUD was complete. You know, it was many players in this, but the federal government was the major one. And they sat back and they allowed this to happen. They participated in it. It wasn't even like they just allowed it. They participated. Their term restrictive covenants, which I know you and I both are familiar with, where it was written into the deeds, who you could sell your home to and who you could not sell your home to and written into many deeds across this country. It said, do not sell to a Negro you know, at that time, don't sell to African-Americans at all. And the federal government, instead of it being the referee and calling the file, it actually empowered and enabled real estate agencies and companies to redline and to do this 
to the African-American community. And there's a generational impact. People often question, you know, why does the African-American community continue to talk about these things? We talk about these things because it wasn't just a one-off. It's like a domino effect. You know, if you can visualize a set of dominoes, more than a set, a few set of dominoes lined up, When something of this magnitude happens, whether it is the war on drugs or whether it's redlining within housing and loans and all of that stuff, when that first domino falls, they all fall. And that is what continues to happen in this country right now to this day. Yeah. You know, you think about these people that are in jail today for a crime that is now legal, but just the act of being in jail, just the act of getting arrested, even before you're convicted, you end up losing your job, spending time in jail, you lose your family, you lose your friends. It destroys your life. It really does. And it's hard to rebound. You know, there's a saying that it's easier to jump in the hole than it is to get out of it. And that's really the circumstance that people find themselves in. When something like this happens in their lives, it's so much harder to to rebound because you really are fighting against other systems that are dead set on keeping you down and not seeing you rebound and really live the fullness of your life. And until this country is willing to admit what it has done to African-American community generationally, I think we're always going to find ourselves right back in this position from a systemic standpoint. And that's why it is so incredible that you, Ben Cohen, are stepping out into this And creating a new model for people to see that folks of wealth and connections can do a lot of good in the world. And you picked this particular path because cannabis is the new frontier right now. And in many states where it is legal, we know that mostly black people do not own those companies. They are not in the ecosystem, whether it's delivering or growing. They're just not there. Now, they may be employed, but they don't own anything. And that is why what you are doing right now is beautiful. This is justice. And I hope more people will follow your lead. And in preparation for this country to legalize it, because it will be legal in the United States of America at some point, I do believe that if the African-American community and if we do not have government, whether it's both federal, state, regional, and local, All levels of government have to make it very clear that the group or groups that were harmed the most will be the ones first for the economic buffet, for the financial buffet. My fear is that they're going to let these big tobacco companies and others reap the benefits and leave the African-American community by the wayside if we don't stand up and the Hispanic community as well. I think in terms of the eventual federal legalization, what you're saying is absolutely right, that the drug companies, the tobacco companies, Wall Street are right now lobbying Congress to pass the eventual legalization law that will benefit them, these huge corporations. And I recently met a woman named Chaylene, who is a woman of color. She had been the head of the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission. She would be a great interview for you, actually. And she is forming an organization to lobby on behalf of regular people and people who don't have a lot of money and aren't huge corporations to influence the eventual federal legislation. And she's 
putting it together now, which is exactly the time to do it. Yeah, that's beautiful. We do need it. We can't leave this to chance because we know what happens when things are left to chance. They just don't happen. And that is another reason why I'm glad she's lobbying. There are others who are in this space who are preparing. We cannot be asleep at the wheel on this one, BC. This is going to happen. And the African-American community is going to be left behind without a lot of pressure on these elected officials to do without fear, contradiction, to do it against all of the naysayers that would say how unfair this is to do it this way. No, you are making right. You're trying to make some crooked paths straight because what was unfair, what was untenable, what was heartbreaking, what was destructive is the war on drugs that dismantled many a black household and black community in this country. And even still to this day, black people are arrested at higher rates in the states all over the country. It's a stain. It's a blot on this country. And so to make this right, then you have to deliberately put in policies that try to correct that. Because these people will never get their lives back. The ones who were put in jail and or prison for marijuana, you can't give them back their lives. But what, how we move forward and understanding that a lot of the policy positions taken, whether it's the GI Bill, the New Deal, those types of policies were very much race based and they were based on being white. And if you were black, you had to get back. So we got a lot of work to do. And that all those things were done deliberately. It was done by public policy. And all of those things moving forward, we can undo by public policy. And what a great way. Uh, some people would call this a, a one of the pillars of reparations. Call it what you want. I just call it plain old-fashioned economic justice. Whatever you call it, we need to do the right thing. At the beginning, when states first started legalizing pot, There were provisions in the law that said that someone who had a previous arrest for marijuana could not be part of this industry. And then they started understanding that that was unfair, that people who had suffered because of the war on drugs shouldn't be shut out of that business. And and so now most of the states that are legalizing are having what they call social equity provisions, where they give priority for licenses to people who had been impacted by the war on drugs or whose communities had been impacted by it. The problem is what we talked about, the generational wealth. You know, like when the average white guy wants to start a business, they go around to their friends and relatives and say, can you loan me some money or invest some money? Because they've got 10 times the amount of wealth of black people, they're able to get that initial investment. And it's much harder for black people to get it. So the problem has been that, okay, you you give them preference for getting these licenses, then they have the license, but they don't have enough money to actually start a business. And the state of New York, I think they're the first state that along with their social equity provision, they're providing capital for someone who gets a social equity license to actually start up that business. So uh, I think it's a a good direction. Yes, a very good start. And we got to inspect what we expect just to make sure that the leaders (laughs) of justice are working as we plan, because with a lot of uh, good intentions, uh, we know that if somebody's not watching the watcher who's watching the watcher, Things can fall through the cracks and not happen according to law, to policy. Yeah. 
But that is a great start. It is a tremendous start. But I am so excited to be on this journey with you. I think it's incredible. What you're doing is incredible. And I know that it is going to bear an extraordinary amount of fruit and that you are setting up a framework, a foundation for many to follow uh, for many years to come, Ben Cohen. So I love you for that. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Something that is very timely right now, I want to go back to, I had mentioned earlier, I want to remind the people who are with us today, that you for over 30 years have been working really hard to educate the masses on something that is not sexy. And when I say sexy, I mean exciting. Like It takes a lot to keep people's attention on it. It's much like climate chaos, which I I don't understand why we don't get that one, but I'll save that for another show too. But this one is the military industrial complex. And so drop the mic. You all who are on social media, you can follow drop the mic. Please follow drop the mic on Instagram and follow drop the mic on Twitter. And I had the opportunity some months ago to work with you and Edward to lift that up even more. And you have other incredible people working with you on that. Let's talk about that, especially because of the war that Russia is waging rather on the Ukraine and all of these rumors that other wars will start because of this, whether it's Japan being in fear of China. I mean, you name it. I mean, things are happening all over the globe that are not edifying, that do not lift, that will put humankind and the entire ecosystem that depends on us to do the right thing in jeopardy. To me, it doesn't get more sexier than paying attention to war because we cannot afford a World War Three with the type of technology that we have. It is called the decimation of the world and everything in it. So that's sexy to me that we should be engaged. You, however, Mr. Ben Cohen, have been working on this for a long time and it is really hard to get people's attention. So let's talk a little bit about what puts you on that journey and some thoughts about the hawkishness of some members 
of Congress and even at times this president, some of the things that he has said that he had to walk back because we cannot, I repeat, we cannot get into a war with Russia. We just can't. Everybody loses. Yeah. It's kind of absurd that the U.S. regards Russia and China as potential adversaries. The people of Russia have no desire to kill people in the United States or to invade the United States. The same with the people of China. Essentially, what the U.S. says is that we are the strongest military force in the world. We're the strongest economic force in the world. If any other country tries to become as strong as us, they're an enemy. Yeah. Why? Why should the U.S. run the world? I don't get it. And then you get to the issue of war, which is the most horrible thing that humankind has devised to date. It's essentially, how can we kill ridiculously large numbers of people as soon as possible? And how can we destroy infrastructure and buildings and villages? You have this quote from the Vatican a bunch of years back that says, even though the weapons may never be used, the arms race kills the poor by causing them to starve yeah. by its cost alone. You know, when I first started focusing on the Pentagon budget, I mean, the reason why I got into it was because whenever there were people coming to Congress saying, we need more money for our schools or health care or housing or to help people pull themselves out of poverty, the Congress people would always say, oh, I really care about that. I really care about the kids. I love kids. Uh, I believe in education. I want everyone to be healthy, but we just don't have the money in the budget. I'm just so sorry. And the reality is that they're spending half of our discretionary budget on bombs, weapons, preparing to kill millions of people in our name. So when I first got into it, the Pentagon budget was around 280 billion a year. Now it's about 800 billion a year. And we spend about four times as much as the next highest spending country, which would be China. I think one of the interesting things that the war in Ukraine has demonstrated, like the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan, is that these countries that have these huge military budgets are not able to successfully conquer and occupy a small little country. So how can we possibly think that China or Russia is a threat to the United States? It used to be called the Department of War. And then they decided that doesn't really have a nice ring to it. So they called it the Department of Defense. But the reality is we've never defended the United States. I mean, nobody attacks the United States. We have oceans on both sides. We have friendly nations on the top and the bottom. You know, when you get into this thing about the Ukraine, I mean, the war there is inexcusable. What Russia's doing is inexcusable. Absolutely. But if 
before the war, what Russia was saying was that you have amassed all these weapons on our borders and you're aiming it at us. And if Russia amassed all these weapons in Mexico and they were aiming it at us, what would the United States do? We would take the same posture. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. The reality is that the amounts of money that you talk about in terms of the military budget, $800 billion a year, you know, it kind of rolls off your tongue, 800 billion. But if you took just 10% of that amount of money, that would be 80 billion. Yes. You decided, well, I'm going to use that to pay our teachers more, to provide healthcare for more people, to provide Head Start for everybody who's eligible for it. You could do it. And that's the stuff that really makes people feel more secure. It really is. We definitely do a disservice on the domestic side of the ledger. We can't have nice things because we're too wrapped up in war making to have those nice things. And the companies, the corporations, Wall Street benefits, but the hoods don't benefit, whether suburban hoods, urban hoods or rural hoods. The people who live in those communities are suffering because of our desire to always be making war. War begets more war, not less. And I want to go back to something you said about Russia and China and always seeing them as enemies programming the American people to see them that way. I think our budget is bigger than what the next 10 or 11 nations combined. And most of those nations are our allies. As you were talking geographically, it was making me think also Why do we have to have a Pentagon budget that large when most of the industrialized nations in the world are actually our allies and we spend more than all of them combined, both allies and foes being namely China and Russia for the purposes of some people here who relish? I mean, there's a lot of money been going to be made with the threat of war. It makes money. Oh, it makes a huge amount of money. Public citizen, I encourage again, I go to Twitter and go to Drop the Mic. That stands for Drop the Military Industrial Complex. Please follow and share and retweet. And then another organization that Drop the Mic retweets a lot, Public Citizen, they're on it a lot. Cold Pink is. There are so many wonderful activist types who are navigating that space on a regular basis to keep us informed. Something that Public Citizen put out. They said, so inflation is the reason why the government wants to increase the Pentagon budget even higher than the amount that you said, the the 900 billion. But inflation is also the reason why we can't afford to raise the minimum wage. Think about that. Wow. My God, that's beautiful. It's beautiful in a bad way, but that juxtaposition, which is it? It can't be both. So you got enough money to increase the Pentagon's budget, but you don't have enough money to increase the minimum wage. Why is it that the everyday average American in this country always has to take sloppy seconds? And at this point, we talk about sloppy thirds and and fourths because of inflation, because of gas prices, because of food prices. I don't even know how people are living. The struggle is real. You know, a thought for me, I mean, if I were in the Congress, certainly, and I, I know that we do have to support our Ukrainian sisters and brothers and family and friends. And as you laid out, what Putin is doing is absolutely horrible. 
for every dime that this country sends to Ukraine, I want that dime to be spent over here. So, well, we just gave them 40 billion. Okay. Yeah. Put 40 billion right here on the domestic side too. Y'all want to send 40 billion up? Send it. We need 40 billion on the ledger right here for domestic issues. School, yeah. healthcare, increasing the federal minimum wage, canceling student debt. Let's do that. Yeah. It's as critical a need as providing weapons which are going to result in more people dead. That's right. No good is coming of it. I mean, war begets war. There's no other way around it. Well, the one and only Ben Cohen, we could go on for days. I have to have you back. When I do have you back, we're going to start right with qualified immunity. I know that that is another issue near and dear to your heart. You co-authored a book with the one and only Michael Render about qualified immunity. I don't know how you, I mean, you don't pick easy topics. I guess ice cream was easy, but (laughs) I'm so glad that you are such a force and that you are using your time, your talent, your treasure, all that the creator has blessed you to have and to be because you are. I'm glad you are using those talents to make the world a better place. And I am excited and blessed to call you my friend, the one and only Ben Cohen. It's great to be a force with you, Nina. I think that you and I can become the new dynamic duo. What about Jerry? <laughs> well, he, he had the new tremendous trio. That's it. We can't, we can't leave Jerry out. Can never leave Jerry All right, out. the triumphant trio. <laughs> the I like triumphant it. trio. I love it too, and I love you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And thank all of you who are listening in to Hello Somebody. You know that I often say that everybody is somebody. I want you to keep the faith. I definitely want you to keep the fight. I know that times are hard, but we are going to overcome as long as good people put a little extra on their ordinary, extraordinary things will do and can happen. The pain is numbing Try to shoot for the stars if you gon' aim for something Embrace the love for your brother and sister Unity's the missing brush, we need to puzzle this picture Let's paint it up, frame it up For the world to see, hang the hatred up Enough is enough, is enough Making changes on us In Turner, her voice is the truth Her wise words inspire the youth to keep their eyes on the roof It's the end, never give up, keep conquering goals To the eye, intelligence, silver, wisdom is gold Back to the end, now is your time, stay firm, don't fold To the A, all you need is the three bones That's what Granny said Now I'ma make sure these words from Granny spread For all the hair, just give her your ear She can take you to the promised land, I swear World peace is what they fear From Queens to Cleveland, Ohio, we here Famous
Hello Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.